Welcome to the Axe Church Podcast. Glad you're here with us today. My name's Hunter. I'm here with David and Kristen, and we're going to get right into it today. So um, David has some some stuff for us. That's right. This is going to be a special one uh, for... They're all special. Uh, all podcasts are equally special. Oh, man. Um, maybe not. They're not all equally special, but they're all good. I enjoy them. I hope that whoever's listening is get, getting something from them. But today... And no matter what age you are, I think this podcast is going to have something for you. I'm calling this one The Millennials and Me. And so uh, you've probably already saw that because that'll be the title that comes across before you push play on this bad boy. And so I'm here with two certified, uh, certified fresh millennials. Um, I've got Kristen Wires. Kristen, say hello. Hello. And I've got Hunter, who you've already heard from, so we don't have to have him say hello. But you can, Hunter. You can say hello. Hello. And uh, you're pretty used to hearing from Hunter, and you've even heard from Kristen before on this podcast. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about doing this because I think that for, you know, we have these generations and we give them names and we have the greatest generation, which is a little presumptuous. <laughs> um, no offense, no offense to anybody, but it's a little presumptuous. Uh, and then we have the baby boomers, which are basically a generation named after the fact that there were lots of them. Uh, and then we have Generation X, which is like, we don't even want to take the time to think of a name because you're not important enough. That's my generation. <laughs> um, and then we have uh, the millennials, right? We have not named the generation underneath them. I have two children. One is a millennial and one is a, we don't know yet. Uh, we'll find out. Um, but all these, you know, the millennials and the baby boomers actually got names as to the greatest generation. We just have a letter in my generation. But with all these generations, we have all kinds of, oh, I don't know, let's, let's just call them, um, we identify them with particular uh, personality traits, particular likes and dislikes, particular ways of living, um, and all kinds of stuff like that. And I, I, there's some interesting stuff I want to get into about that process of how we decide who a generation is and, and maybe even... In how it affects that generation and even dictates sort of what they will become based on what people start to say they are. And so we're going to talk about a lot of this. I'm going to get into this with, with Hunter and Chris and talk to them about the way that millennials are described, the kind of attributes that people say they have, how they feel about that. Um, and then and I want to talk about what them what Kristen and Hunter and the their contemporaries, the other people in their generation that they know, how they approach church and maybe what the church is missing that the millennials um, are, are bringing to the church and really helping to revitalize certain things about the church and some of the things that, that millennials want to see from the church that maybe the church isn't doing yet. And so we're going to get into all that. I'm going to start out with, with, a, with a few things. Um, when I typed millennials are into the Google search bar in the interwebs, it came up with a few things. You can try this for yourself if you want. I'm not going to say what they said. Some of them were not very nice. Um, and of course, it's always different what it says. But um, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of folks out there that would say some things about millennials. I'm going to first just ask you guys. I'm going to start with you, Kristen. What have you heard? Use kind language. What have you heard as ways that people describe millennials? What are the types of things that you've heard people describe millennials as? Lazy and entitled and um, yeah, mostly those two things. <laughs> those are the big two. How about positive things? Are there anything, is there anything positive that you've heard said about millennials? Um, I think 
they're creative. Okay. Like the whole like tiny house movement thing. I think some people are like, oh, that's creative. And then some people are like, oh, they're just trailer homes. Like it's not that creative. And they're just trying to reinvent the wheel. And so, yeah, I don't know. Okay. All right. Hunter, what about you? What have you heard said about millennials? Yeah, definitely the lazy and entitled thing. Um, and I, I think I've, I've heard a sentiment that, that we're kind of complainers. Um, yes. But I've also heard, um, you know, we're creative and and we care a lot about um, well, making clearly, a difference. Yeah, yeah, we we're all the the difference maker wannabes, you know. Um, whether that actually happens or whether um, we fully understand what that means, we know that we want to do something important. Okay. So one of the things that comes to mind, and there are other things that that maybe we'll talk some about too about millennials and and uh, what they've been labeled as. Uh, but with these labels that you brought up, particularly lazy or entitled or that kind of stuff, I think that it's probably fair to say that just about every generation when it was the age of your generation has been called those things, right? I mean, historically, I don't know, baby I boomers there. were, well, that's true. That's one of the things about being a millennial. You were not there. Um, but I think that baby boomers, when they were, I mean, hippies were not considered to be the hardest working, um, you know, people around and so on. I mean, the, it was normal to call people who are older people tend to call younger people lazy. They didn't have it as hard as us. They feel entitled. They're not, you know, they don't work as hard. They're not as respectful. They're not as, and fill in the blank. So that's not uncommon for, uh, it's a rite of passage, I think, at some level for every generation when they get to ages, say, 15 to, to 30, they're going to be these things are going to be said about them, right? You you guys understand that. Yeah. Yeah, um, and, and it's not because of anything other than the fact that for some young people, it's going to be true, which is to say, you don't, you don't pop out and, and become a, an adult or a young adult and all of a sudden know everything that, that there is to know about working hard or everything there is to know about, about what it takes to be successful financially and things like that. And that can be misinterpreted as laziness or as a lack of drive or so when really it's just people figuring out who they are would mm -hmm. you would you agree with that yeah yeah definitely it makes sense that um you're we're all transitioning millennials as a as a whole are probably transitioning now i don't i think very few millennials are still in high school um, and we're transitioning into um the real world actually having to um earn our own living and things like that and so a lot of us are, are probably going to fail and um, whether we're at fault for that or whether that's just part of the, the task of, of growing up, I think that's what a lot of reflection is happening on right now. I agree. Oh, you've got more than that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I agree. It's, um, I think definitely millennials are transitioning, like he said, and I think the older generation, who are the baby boomers who are our parents, have expectations of us of, um, how we should grow up and how we should transition and how that process looks. And um, it's not necessarily happening, I think, in the time frame that they want it to. Like, <laughs> I don't think we're all moved out of our parents' house yet, and probably a lot of them were by this age. Um, and so I get it. it it's going to look different. This transition time is going to look different, I think, for every generation, depending on the previous generation and the one before that and the one before that and so on. Yeah. I mean, when I was, uh, you know, three years old, I had two full-time jobs. I bought my first house at 14. Oh, yeah. There you um, go. <laughs> yeah, I walked uphill both ways to school and rode a skateboard with square wheels. You know, all the stuff that people say, right. which is untrue, okay? Um, 
First of all, I do think that more millennials live at home, but I actually think that's more, a lot of times, an indication of their intelligence than it is anything else, which is to say, it's very expensive. Housing is very expensive now. And I won't speak for every generation and every and, and, and every time period and so on, but we live in the Pacific Northwest. This is an expensive place to live. Yeah. Not all places are, are as expensive to live. And my guess is those places that are less expensive to live have more young people not living at home. It's just a it's a it's the economy, stupid, right? That's yeah. what they say. And so there's a level to which you say, Well, why would I go out and spend $1,200, $2,500, whatever it is for me and a roommate to go live in an apartment or live in, in this situation when I can live in my parents' nice house for free and work a job and then I can put my money, save my money or spend it on college or do do what I need to do. I don't think that's I don't think that's a dumb choice, and I don't think that's I don't think that's a, a lazy choice. I think that's a wise choice sometimes. And there's some parents right now listening to this, going, "Please don't tell my millennial this. They need to, <laughs> you know, get out of my basement." But I don't think that that's the case. I think actually that most parents also see it. It's usually, um, or it should be, and I think it often is a consensual thing between yeah. the parent and the child saying, this makes sense for you and I like having you around still. I don't, I don't really want you to leave. And it, and you're growing up and I'm letting you walk through that process and it may be a little slower than it was for me or another generation because it's more expensive. The jobs are not the same as they used to be. You used to be able to get out of high school and get into a job that you could make a living wage in within a reasonable period of time. That doesn't appear to be the case as much anymore. And so um, tell me just as as millennials who are, what are you, 23, Hunter? Yeah. And yeah. what are you, 20, 22? 22. Okay, so 22 and 23, What what is the burden? What does it feel like for you to think about um, the cost that's going to be involved with raising a family? Hunter, you've been married for about a year. Is that right? Year and a half. Okay, year and a half, you would know. Um, and... And of course, Kristen, you plan to get married and have seventeen children, Do or, I? or whatever. I, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, but thinking about raising a family, thinking about the cost of that, thinking about the amount of work, thinking about what you saw your parents go through, and all these kinds of things. What's your mindset towards that? Because that's one of the things that people say millennials um, struggle with is they sort of reject, which every generation does, reject certain things about their parents' generation, about the way that that their parents did relationships about the way their parents did work. We're going to talk a little bit later about the way their parents did church. That may be different for millennials, but what is it like for you as you think about that going forward? What are, is it scary? Is it concerning? Um, talk, talk to me about that. Kristen, you go first. I think it's scary and overwhelming. <laughs> um, that's definitely the two emotions that like, I get very anxious when I think about it. Um, just because there's so much involved in it, like being an adult is hard. <laughs> Adulting is hard. Um, but I, I know that God will give me the wisdom and the things that I need to make it through that and to get there. But um, yeah, I definitely get a little anxious thinking about the future and getting married and having a family and moving out on my own and being a big girl. <laughs> <laughs> right. And adulting is really a, a word that was never heard before. until millennials, until yeah. millennials five years ago. Who, are, who have defined being an adult as an, as a verb right like it's something that you do in other words as if there was a choice about it yeah right yeah. so i think generations before would have said what do you mean adulting once i turned this age my parents you know they gave me a, a carton of cigarettes and a, and a gallon of gas and said get out of here or whatever right, right. i think that's for the breakfast club or something but in any case <laughs> there the the idea was there's no choice 
about adulting or not adulting. I'm an adult now, and now I sink or swim. I think that's how they remember it. I don't think that was always true. But for a millennial, it's like adulting is this thing that I sort of maybe go in and out of, or like I'm, or I'm coming into, and it's you know. That's that what I think it is. It's yeah. more of a transition, like being thrown into just like here, wake up, have a forty-hour-a-week job, pay these twenty jillion bills, and feed these kids, and provide for this your spouse. You know, like that doesn't seem very transitional to me like it's doing that overnight would scare me so I definitely think there are transitional phases to becoming more and more an adult that first being married which I am not you know and then having a job or getting a job first and then getting married I think there's phases to it but Mm -hmm. maybe that's a millennial thing yeah Hunter yeah um I yeah the adulting thing is is funny it is something that I never I think I just feel like I'm just I never really think about the way I'm living my life as adulting. I'm just trying to survive is all. So <laughs> I'm just out here surviving. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, I think I think I assumed that some of the skills that I need to um, live outside of my parents' house, that those would be taught in college or something mm-hmm. like that. I was like kind of waiting for the next <laughs> class. It's like, by the way, here's how you get health insurance and this and this and this and this. And... Um, that never happened. Nope. I don't, I was, I'm still waiting for it. Yeah, health insurance class wasn't in my college either. Although I will say this, I don't know what the like home ec situation is in schools these days. Doesn't I think exist. a lot of that. That we we definitely had it when I was in school. My mom was actually a home ec major in college. Wow. Like she now she didn't she got married and and learned how to do the real home ec right. Um, you know, like kind of right away. So, but it was considered valuable. It was considered important and necessary. Like it was something that you learned. There, there are a number of things like that. I don't want to get too far on a rabbit trail, but things like civics and what it means to be a citizen, um, the things that, that every citizen should know of a country about voting and about and about your your responsibility to your community and things like that. Those aren't aren't taught in the same way they used to. Home ec isn't taught, and so there's this whole idea uh, for a millennial who's thinking about these things of oh, there's all these things that didn't come up and bite me, right? Like that I yeah. don't know about, that I never learned about, I don't know how to do them, and and so I feel uncomfortable. And then other people kind of grab onto those in order to either make fun of millennials or do whatever and sort of say, oh, look at these little entitled babies. They don't know how to do anything. Not remembering that they didn't know how to do anything either and hated the fact that they had to learn it all by getting smacked in the head mm-hmm. by all these things and are and are like, well, why don't they, why shouldn't they get smacked in the head too? And I'm kind of like, and I get that. I get both sides of it, but it's, but. But aren't you smacking us in the head when I, you do that? I, I think so. <laughs> I think that there's a, there's a level of, are you really helping somebody by, I, by, using a, a negative way of identifying them rather than saying, hey, it's actually pretty, uh, there's there's a level of thoughtfulness and wisdom that comes with realizing that you don't know what you don't know, which I don't think that I'd had. So I was just like, okay, I'm 18, I'm going to college, and then I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. But the truth is, is that none of that happened without the help of family, friends, and and mentors, and all this kind of stuff, and and I got married young. We had kids young. Um, there were a lot of things that I had to figure out, but there were all, there were all kinds of ways in which I was helped by people. And this person loaned me money, or this thing happened, or that thing happened, and I wasn't left to just figure it out on my own. And I don't know why anyone would suggest or think that millennials should have to either. On the other side, let me ask you this though: Do you feel like 
the fact that you're getting this soft landing, some millennials are getting a more soft landing or having more transition time, do you feel like there's any way in which that's negative or that hurts you that you're not sort of getting the bumps and bruises that some others have? Yeah, I definitely feel, um, I, I almost I almost wish that I had encountered some more um, tough love situations where, um, where I was allowed to fail and just deal with those consequences and learn from those consequences and learn from the process of failing. Um, I think I, I think I could be a stronger person today if, if I had more of those situations. Um, and so, yeah, I, I definitely would say that, that, that maybe the, the landing has been padded too much and I haven't had a chance to learn. Um, and, and maybe it's just delayed. Maybe that, that, la- that landing pad is being taken away, um, at a more advanced age than I expected. Cause it, it does feel like, um, as time goes on, it's like, well, I'm not going to help you out when, when this goes wrong next time. And I'm not gonna help you out with this thing when it goes wrong next time. Um, so I definitely see how that is happening and, um, kind of wish it would have happened sooner. Kind of wish it would have happened, um, when I was in high school, but, um, you know, I'm also thankful for all the care that was taken of me. Um, cause I think it helped me grow in other areas, sure. um, less, less related to just how I should live my life. Um, I was able to grow in other areas, uh, maybe on, maybe that's why we're so creative is because we haven't had to quite make as many critical decisions about how we're going to make money or how we're going to, um, do these types of things. And so we've had a little more of a creative view of the world. Um, more, that, more time to engage in that than if you were having to engage in those other things. But I also see what you're saying, man, I wish that I could have fallen on my, on my bottom. Um, <laughs> we'll bleep that. Um, I wish I could have fallen on my bottom more often when the stakes were lower, because now my fear is that I'm going to fall on my bottom when the stakes are very high and not have learned the lesson when the stakes would have been much lower. Um, I would say this, I wouldn't worry about it. You're going to fall oh, um, I don't. every at every age and at every point. You're going to make mistakes and and bad things are going to happen and all the rest of it. And you're going to learn from those things, too. Uh, as a father of a millennial, um, I think that speaking as a parent of uh, in this situation, I do feel like every generation wants to give their children more than they had and wants to keep them from having to experience maybe some of the negative things that we experienced. And so I think that for me as a parent, that definitely happened. And I don't doubt that, that if I, if I erred in one direction, it was probably in the direction of not letting some of those things happen when the stakes were a little lower, you know, Mm -hmm. um, there's a, you know, if you remember the movie Finding Nemo, which probably came out when you were very young. Oh yeah. Um, I was not very young when it came out, but you know, there was this whole, the idea of kind of this helicopter parent, right. And, and yeah, Marlon, I think his name was. And here's Marlon. And he's like, no, no, Nemo, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And of course, Nemo goes out and gets. He touches the butt. He touches the butt. Yes. He, <laughs> touched, he touched the butt. Um, and and goes and gets taken and blah, blah, blah. The whole story, right? Um, but the, the moral of the story being you got to let him live because, it, because that helicopter thing isn't living. And so we don't want to get, as parents, I think we knew not to get that far, but we still protected our kids from certain stuff. And I think most millennials had an experience like that. Not all of them, but a lot of millennials had an experience like that, or at least the ones that the stereotypes are sort of thrust on. Those are ones that probably had that type of a thing, both in school. And, you know, it was like, nobody liked being bullied and nobody liked having to lose at 
whatever. And so instead of saying, well, let's try to take off some of the hard edges that we're like, nobody loses. Everybody wins. You're all the greatest. All your opinions are the most valuable in the world. And we thrust that on people and then made fun of them when they responded to it in the way anyone would respond to it, which is to say, what do you mean I'm not a winner now that that thing's not happening? Well, what else would somebody think? You've been telling them that you've been pushing this on them. And so whatever, I will say this, whatever the case is, if there are stereotypes about millennials that, that are true, and of course there are, of course there's some truth to them, of course there's some people who are this way or that way, and by the way, in every generation, it's more likely a result of the way that you know people like me as a parent and, and schools and the rest of that have done, have trained up or have, um, have interacted with young people than it is some sort of natural thing like, oh, there's some genetic failure. <laughs> And everyone born between yeah. 1996 and, you know, the year, whatever, you know, whatever it is, 1980 and 2000 or whatever the millennial generation is. That's silly. Um, obviously, it, you know, it falls back on those of us who, who sort of started this. And then there's a few other things, and I'm going to ask you about them. Okay. Technology. Okay. Do you, either one of you remember a time when your parents did not have a cell phone? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, so my mom, she is a businesswoman. So she had one pretty early. Um, but I don't think that my dad got a cell phone until I was in middle school. But he was like really resistant to it. Like he did not want one. And he was like, technology, I don't like, I don't. I don't. He was mostly, he, he didn't want to pay for it. Like he didn't want it. Um, I think my stepmom made him get one. So he kind of held on to that for a long time. But now he has a smartphone. So yeah. I don't necessarily remember a time when my parents didn't have a cell phone, I don't, I don't remember that transition between when they just had a landline and a cell phone. Um, it was probably when I was in about fourth or fifth grade that my parents got their cell phones. And then I remember in middle school when they made the transition from just having cell phones that they made calls on to cell phones that they actually texted on. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my mom showing me, my, my dad had gone on a youth trip. He was taking some youth down to um, a conference. And uh, my mom was like, your dad just texted me and told me what was happening today. I was like, he texted you. That sounds like a thing a kid would do. Like it was kind of, it was, it was for texting was for teenagers at that time. And so I I was was resistant to texting actually. Yeah. I was like, just call me. And then I was like, Oh no, this is amazing. What year do you think you made that transition? Not until probably 2007, 2008, which is when I was, yeah, I was in middle school. Prior to that, I thought, you know what? It seems, it seemed a little bit rude. And like, mm. you don't have the time to just call me. Impersonal. Just, just, yeah, it was impersonal. It just, just call me. Yeah, you know? yeah. Let's, let's not go back and forth on text. Now I'll have like full on, like long conversations yeah. on text and be like, I probably should just call at this point. Yeah. Um, but back then I didn't even want you to say, will you be home soon on a text, which duh, you, you should say that on the text. You don't have to call to say that. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but that's just how I was. I was resistant to DVDs as well. Um, yeah. Those darn DVDs. I liked VHS tapes. I had lots of VHS tapes, you know. Um, and so I was, I was like, it's not that hard. We well, you know the quality, is much, the, the quality is much higher on VHS than, than DVD. I have no idea. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not. Probably <laughs> not. The, the DVD thing of like being able to just skip chapters and like no rewinding and fast forward. That, that was amazing. But I still was like, no, no, it's fine. We'll just push fast forward and wait three minutes for yeah. it to get to. We're the, not babies. We can just fast forward. Right. Things. You got to yeah. rewind it to take it back to the place where you rented it from. Yeah, it was a hassle. That was a whole thing. But anyway, um, <laughs> that's uh Glad to see you on the DVD side. Yeah. So, so technology has been uh, a big part of the life of millennials from the beginning. And that's certainly, we don't know exactly how that's affected anybody. 
but it's different than, I, you know, we didn't have the internet. I didn't have the internet, like access to the internet as a normal course of events until, you know, into college. Like there was email, there was internet, there was email. We had more access to it, but we didn't know much about it. We didn't, you know, it, it was definitely a new thing to us um, as where you guys have had the internet. You guys have been able to cheat on your on your papers in school forever, right? On the internet. I've never done that on the internet. Yeah. Okay. How it, how do you use the internet to cheat on a paper for school? I don't know. In college, they made it seem like so easy. Like you put in the prompt and you can literally like purchase a pre-written paper for yeah. it. But I I didn't think that it was that easy and I never did it. I went so. to Bible college. So they don't. I, don't think I would they have, have been too that. cheap to pay somebody to write exactly. A paper for me too. That's, yeah, that's I wouldn't it. have done it. But people did it by just going to like uh, essentially what would have been. I don't know if it existed back then, but. It would have been the equivalent of Wikipedia. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. so you go and instead of what you all would consider research and what we would consider research back when we had to do everything with a paper book. Right. right. Now right. the way we did it is we went to the Funk and Wagnalls or to the, the what? or to the World Book Encyclopedia. Do I need to bleep oh. that out? <laughs> yeah. Funk and Wagnalls, yeah, bleep that out. Uh, it's funky. Um, the you know, we had encyclopedias and a lot of us had them in our home, right? So the that guy would come, he would sell you a set of encyclopedias and so a lot of homes had a set of encyclopedias like 1983 1974 funk and wagnalls or world book <laughs> encyclopedia you don't like that word you just keep laughing every time I say that. <laughs> it's, weird. it's it's normal funk and wagnalls okay bro. um or or world book or, uh, britannica I, I, I know britannica okay. i know britannica okay all right so you know britannica they, they're still online funk and wagnalls i don't know if they are <laughs> i just thought i'd say that <laughs> so in any case we'd go and it'd be like okay you're 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 Report is on Toledo, Ohio. You go to the T in the Britannica or the Funkin Wagnalls, and you look up Toledo, and it would have an entry on Toledo, and it would say all kinds of that. Toledo is a city of X number of people, and what? Of course, it hasn't been updated for 17 years, but that's the one I had. And so you would copy into your paper all this stuff about Toledo, and that was your, you know, that's how you would have cheated if you did. And I'm not saying that I did. I'm not saying that I didn't. And if any of my um, elementary school teachers are listening to this. Uh, let's just assume that I didn't. Um, no, I, of, of course I did. We all did. We, we basically copied in that thing and we come and read our report. Toledo is a city of blah, blah, blah. And their main export is blah, blah, whatever. I think I did one on Australia now that I remember. In any case, it was a way different. more interesting than Toledo. Yeah. <laughs> well, no offense. I just had to think of something. Um, for those of you listening to Toledo, shout out to Toledo. I've never <laughs> been there, but I'm assuming it's great. Toledo, is it Ohio? Ohio, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so in any case. I've been to Columbus. Okay. I don't think, I don't know if I, I think I've been to Cincinnati. In any case, the, uh, the way that you guys did things was different. And so that had an effect. I want to, I want to take this and, and shift it because, you know, I don't want to go too far without talking about church and, and how your generation. And when I say that, all I really can, all you really can answer for is you and the people you've been around, right? We can't speak for our generation. I can't speak for my generation. I can speak for myself and the people that I know to some extent. And that's all I'm really asking you. Um, but there's, there's a number of things about the way that millennials view church. And I'm going to start before I start telling you what people say millennials think about church. I'm going to ask you. So Kristen, tell me about your experience, your friends, the people that you've been around, um, and the way that they view the church. I think millennials view the church in lens of their family and their parents' experiences with it. Um, I'm not sure if it's just the stage of life that we're in, um, but I think right now a lot of millennials are kind of rejecting if the church if they were raised in it, and even if they weren't, it's something that 
oh, I did that when I was little or that's something my parents did and it didn't work out. And so it's not something that's worth pursuing. Um, So kind of taking what their parents made them do or had them do and kind of wanting to explore their own options and go their own way. So usually that means leaving the church or being spiritual on their own terms and doing it their own way. I think that's pretty common amongst millennials. What about you, Hunter? Yeah. um, I think I got a little bit less of a clear picture of of my peers, what they were doing, Um, partly because I went from high school to Bible college. And so, of course, at Bible college, all of my friends were um, at least somewhat interested in church. So... I don't, I don't quite have the clearest picture of what my my peers were doing, but I do see a lot of the the friends that were with me in youth group um, back in Spokane. A lot of the same friends that were with me in youth group, I don't think go to church now, or at least not um, as much as they did when they were in high school. And I think that's I think that's part of the trying to fit pieces into your life. Um, all of a sudden you need to make a lot more money and you need to have a social life and you have to do all these things that were kind of built in for you when you were in school mm-hmm. um, and and are of greater importance than when you were in school. And I think if, if church didn't meet a high enough um, level of importance on your, on your scale, it was really easy to drop that off um, for whatever reason. And I, I still, I still ask myself, is that, is that just them or is that did, did the church do something wrong in raising them and and teaching them, or is that um, something that couldn't be helped? So I'm I'm hoping it's just a time. Um, a lot of friends that I I saw come to the Lord during high school and middle school, um, who for whatever reason, and I'm sure they all have different reasons, have just kind of backed away from church. And I, I have seen it in a lot of conversations with with other millennials it seems like they see it a lot more tied to family, kind of like you were saying, Kristen. It's tied more to, um, I, I just, it, it's something that I never felt about my, my faith, um, where they kind of see it as this institution of religion. Um, and I just, it, it was never that for me. And so it's kind of been, I, I guess, kind of frustrating where they say, where they where they try to um, boil Christianity, Christianity down to um something different than I see it because they, they're trying to um, define it by their experience in church. Um, and and I, I'm sure through my, my, my path of going to Bible college, I got a fuller idea of what Christians are doing. And, what, and I see lots of different types of churches and see that they're not all the same. And so I can, I can see past that. Um, but I think a lot of millennials just see it as this experience that they had um, when they were seven or 10 or 15 or something like that. Um, and I don't think a lot of millennials want to go back to what they were like back then, um, at least not every aspect of that. And so and I, I certainly know I don't want to, I don't want to be like I was when I was 15. Um, I was kind of a jerk. I was kind of, there's just a lot wrong with me. I was for the most part pursuing the Lord, but I was, um, immature, of course. And so I think a lot of millennials in rejecting that immaturity, they also reject the church because I, I just think most millennials got some exposure to church during their formative years. Um, at least in my town, there, it was, mm-hmm. Spokane's a little less, um, <coughs> what do I call it? Um, 
you, you know, the, the culture of Portland and Vancouver and Seattle. Um, Spokane's a little more Idaho than it is <laughs> Western sure. Washington. Yeah. And so... Um, it's culturally more conservative. Yes, culturally more conservative. Um, church was... I, I had a lot of Christian teachers in my public school. Um, oh, they're a Christian teacher? What? There are Christian teachers? I didn't know. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I'm so. just kidding. I'm kidding, teachers. We have several in our church. Including um, your wife. But, right, <laughs> my wife. Um, but Christians in general are less common in Portland, for sure. Yes, they are yeah. Than Spokane, so. And so, yeah, when, um, when I look back at how I think a lot of my peers now see the church is they kind of see it as, um, as, something feel good kind of sentimental Mm -hmm. and i just don't i don't see it as sentimental i see it as something that is affecting my daily life and um always pushing me further so um and i'm sure that's both their fault and the church's fault i think the church has fallen into a little bit of um doing things for the sake of sentiment and Mm. and some of that's okay but um, i think some of it has damaged the younger generation that doesn't want to do things because of sentiment anymore right one of the things that so it's not uncommon for a generation of any generation when they get to a certain age say college or whatever that they they branch out on their own a little bit they want to they want to explore things they want to test ideas they want to do it but they tend to come back they get married they have kids they come back to the church this is not necessarily, we don't know for sure, but because there are some younger and some older millennials, but not necessarily happening. So we now have a large number of people who are leaving the church and do not appear to be coming back. And I'm wondering if there are some other things involved like hypocrisy. Is it possible that the way that the church, because the church isn't buildings or even institutions, it's believers, right? Yeah. Is it possible that the believers that make up the church were living at home in a very different way than they were acting at church and that millennials are rejecting that aspect of church. Like if that's what if that's what church is, if that's what church is full of, is people who are showing up here, singing the song, smiling at everybody, shaking everybody's hand, coming home, and then dad is screaming at mom and and you know, mom's doing this and this is going on and that's going on, then I'm then I'm rejecting at some level not so much even the church. But the hypocrisy that I see, or option B, and I want you guys to talk about both of this, I use that as an excuse for why I don't go to church, recognizing that all people are flawed and whatever, and it's not really so much hypocrisy, but I can I can point to that so that I don't have to go to church. Um, what do you think? I think there's definitely some of both. Um, there is real hypocrisy in the church, and there's people that just use an excuse for it. Um, I also think a lot of uh, something that the millennials don't like is shame. And like the shaming that happens in church um, because millennials are totally sold out to the idea of like postmodernism and everything's okay and you do you, you know, like that's even a saying that a lot of people say now that like you do you, bro, like you just do you. And um, I just. What, what does that mean? It's just like be yourself, do pretty much do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. It's not my life. It doesn't affect me. You are like in control. You do it's, what you want to do. It's usually started off with. I totally disagree with what you're doing, but you do you. Yeah, that, that's normally how it goes. Like, that's not cool, but you do you, whatever, you know? Um, and so I think that a lot of millennials live by that mentality of, I'm going to do what I want. Like, it doesn't affect anyone else, which is kind of immature and selfish, in my opinion. And untrue. And untrue. Um, 
And so they don't they don't want to go into a place that has rules and that you have to live by a certain standard because I don't think there's a lot of standards these days because <laughs> right. um, everyone can just do what they want to do and be in control of their own lives. And so I don't think that they're they're wanting to be held up to that standard and um, face that accountability that comes with being a Christian or following any kind of religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and also because they also don't want to be a hypocrite. So that ties into it too. They don't they don't want to be accountable to a standard. And I think millennials have a problem with failure, like because we talked about earlier. Um, we haven't been put, some of us haven't been put in a lot of positions to fail very hard um, or very often. And so I think failure scares us. So I think some millennials think of religion and Christianity as all of these rules that you have to keep up with. That's an impossible standard. You can never be held to it. Everyone's going to be a hypocrite. You can't do all of those things anyway, and which is totally missing the gospel, by the way. Like that doesn't even like cover the gospel. There's clearly no understanding of what the gospel is and what sure. Christ did. Um, but I think I think hypocrisy and having a standard and a can of accountability, I think that's a lot of reasons why millennials just aren't about the church. Yeah. I yeah. think go ahead Hunter, I'm sorry. I, on 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 the rules part I think a lot of that has to do with um, uh, mistakenly putting the the horse before the cart wait no you do want to do that. The, the, cart. the cart before the horse <laughs> I reversed the reversal um, it, it's putting the cart before the horse I think so many people have um, viewed the rules and taught the rules from a standpoint of you follow these rules so that you can be a Christian or you can um, please God, or or you, so, so that God can accept you, or so that so that I can accept you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of that has happened in the last, oh, well, I don't know, twenty three years, as far as I can tell. Um, <laughs> probably you don't remember it the probably, first couple of years. I think yeah. it probably started around when I was born. Didn't everything? Everything did. <laughs> I don't really believe that the eighties existed, actually. Right, <laughs> but they've got some good music. Yeah, they do. Um, um, I, I think that some people have have looked at the rules and they have um, said that they are the end um, and that religion is a means to those end. Yeah. Um, whereas uh, what I hope people realize and find is that 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 this religion, this relationship with God is is a reason to um, to well, hopefully to reassess those rules because I think there are a lot of rules out there that people think are are Christian values that are not. Um, but hopefully people can um, can find find religion without any rules attached, and then develop from from Scripture their own rules that they think um, reflect that religion instead of of imposing rules on people in hopes that they will find religion because. Does that make any sense? It doesn't. Make any I, sense I think at all. it does. I, I, oh. I resonate with the whole cart before the horse thing. I resonate with the idea that um, if you're, if it's follow these rules, meet this standard, and then you are a good Christian. Well, the the problem with that is a, it's not Christianity. That is every other religion. Uh, every other religion is follow these rules to be good enough to so that God will approve of you, or at least not hit you as hard as the person next to you, because God is you know all about rules. Um, the truth is, is that we respond in our behavior to Christ out of out of a love that compels us to want to please Him. Mm-hmm. When you when when you okay, so let's just let's just play this out, okay? 
you're you see Taylor for the first time. Oh, you know the music starts playing. Yeah, your wife, not or the guitar because they're amazing yeah. guitars <laughs> also. But let's talk Both about your do. wife, okay? Um, so you're you see Taylor and the music starts playing. It's like Dreamweaver, right? The whole thing's going on slow motion, and you're whatever. The first thing that you're thinking about Taylor is not if this girl wants to get together with me, she's going to want me to be home at a certain time. She's going to not let me go kiss but other wait, girls. Wait, wait, isn't that a Spice Girl song that came in the 90s? No. If you want to be my lover, there you, go. you that, gotta get with my So friend. if you see the Spice Girls, <laughs> it would be... It I was aware be, of that, okay. that song. That would be fair than if you met a Spice Girl to have these assumptions. <laughs> but let's just say that it wasn't a Spice Girl. Instead, uh, it was Taylor, right? Okay, and so, and so you're not... The first thing you're thinking is not... If I get together with this girl, and or if you're a girl, the guy that you've been, you're like, oh, I really like this guy. You're not thinking, um, oh, I'm going to have to do this. I'm going to have to do that. I'm not going to be able to be with other people. And all the rules that come along, because there are rules in a relationship, right? Yeah. You, if you're married to Taylor, that means you're not married to somebody Everybody. else. That means that you're not going <laughs> to, that you're going to, you, you have certain responsibilities to her. And there's certain things that you do. And you do them to please her and to, and to because, because you love the relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If if I came to you and just talked about uh, you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to do this and you need to do that and then maybe you'll be good enough for Taylor, your your response to that is going to be like, hey, first of all, I'm going to mess up sometimes, which we all do. And so I probably can't meet that standard anyway. And if that's what Taylor is all about, is all these rules, well, then Taylor can just go blah, blah, blah. Whoa. Well, that's the <laughs> – right. Uh, I, <laughs> I'm not saying this about Taylor. I'm just saying about anybody, right? About any relationship. If if that's if that's what God is all about, i got to do this and that and this and that and this. If that's what he's concerned about, I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in, in something that where that's the thing – putting the cart before the horse instead of here's God and he's interested in you and he loves you. And this is a relationship. And this is about what this is about grace. And it's actually about him, him overlooking, not even overlooking, but having paid for, um, it wasn't just that he overlooked our sin. It's that he paid for our sin and, and that, and that there's this incredible relationship that's there. And then the behavior is something that it comes that you're compelled as a response to your love for Christ to behave in a certain way. And if religion, quote unquote, is about rules and it's about standards and it's about you're going to fail and it's about you're not good enough. Well, then, of course, it's not going to be very uh, attractive to a millennial or anyone else. Yeah. Um, and so I totally I totally see that um, as as a way that something that would push people away from the church, something that push, push people away from Christ in general. Uh, what do you think uh, about that, uh, uh, Kristen? I think that's true. Yeah, I think it goes back to Millennials don't like to fail, and all of these rules make might make them feel like they're setting themselves up for failure. Like, they can't meet all of the expectations. I mean, I know when I was in high school and early college, like, hypocrisy and I felt like I couldn't measure up were the two reasons why I didn't want to identify as a Christian anymore. I didn't want to be associated with Christianity anymore, um, and it's why I left the church. But it was it was the gospel, and it was realizing that Christ was still there for me, even though, you know, I was making a fool of myself and doing all these things that I shouldn't that and that he loved me and he still wanted a relationship with me. I mean, that's what drew me back and um, really kind of rekindled my relationship with Christ. And that's when I really started to live for Jesus. Let's let's talk about a couple more um, before we before we close down. And, and this won't be the last time that we do the millennials and me type session, oh. because I think there's a lot to 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 work through here and i think that people truly desire people who aren't millennials who are in the church who are older than millennials truly desire to connect to their brothers and sisters in christ who are millennials or those who aren't in christ yet who are millennials and want to be able to connect to what is it that 
people always have a hard time who come from different cultural uh, moments have a hard time connecting with one another. And so I'm hoping that what this does, what podcasts like this do is they help people to see each other for who they are better. Um, but there's a couple other things that affected you all more than they affected my generation. Um, or my generation was affected, definitely not as much as yours. And then the one before, not as much and so on. And it goes kind of to what you were talking about, Hunter, where there's a cultural, that Christianity was more culturally relevant and acceptable in Spokane. Um, in general, okay, nationwide, worldwide, uh, the rise of skepticism, atheism, uh, you know, naturalism, scientific naturalism, and so on, has has really gained a lot more acceptance as a as a worldview, uh, which is to say, you can be an atheist, um, skeptic, scientific naturalist, and that is not only okay but acceptable, and maybe even intellectually superior to the Christian worldview, and maybe even those who are Christians are not intellectually engaged, not thoughtful, um, you know, this whole idea of blind faith and the rest of that. Now, obviously, those who go to Acts Church who are listening to this know that that's simply untrue about believers. Uh, hopefully, all believers know that's simply untrue about believers, but we spend a lot of time talking through um, the intellect and growing in that and engaging with these ideas. But that's not the way that people look at Christians and Christianity. And certainly for you all, where the new atheism and the Richard Dawkins type folks in the world and so on were coming up and it was becoming big as you were young people, how much did that affect, do you think, your peers in terms of seeing Christianity as, as a step backward intellectually? Going to a um, university, I think that that affects a lot of millennials and still millennials, like back half of millennials and millennials, millennials that are going to go into college. Um, I, you know, especially going, I was a soft science major. I majored in psychology, which they counted as a science, but I know not everybody thinks that it's a science. <laughs> um, you know, we, you, you need, you know, it's very much Darwinism and evolution and, you know, um, religious religion is just for simple-minded people and the simple-minded folks and if you're here to take a hold of your education and be informed about everything then you can just leave all of that religious stuff to the side because this isn't a place for you and you need to think about everybody's perspectives and not just you know this old historic biblical perspective you know um and so coming coming from a university that's talked about actually a lot especially more so um because i went to college in texas and i also went to college here um, in Washington, it was way more so in Washington than it was in Texas. Texas, they didn't really talk about religion um, at all. And I feel like in Washington, they talked more lowly um, of religion. Um, but yeah, so I, I definitely think that it's university and higher level thinking um, and science is going to continue to, uh, yeah, quote, higher level thinking, <laughs> right. is going to continue to affect um, the rest of the millennials who, who have still yet to go to college or finish college. And um, that's worrisome because we're not simple-minded folk and God gave us brains and we should use them. Yeah, I, I assume that, that Boise Bible College was <laughs> a little more accepting of the Christian worldview. Yeah, you, sometimes you get railed for it. No, just kidding. Um, yeah, that, that's definitely true, but I... You know, I worked with coworkers who were going to Boise State University and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and I definitely saw that same. Um, and, and even in high school, I kind of felt it, even though there wasn't 
any huge culture against Christianity um, in Spokane, at least not in my circle. There wasn't any huge culture against um, Christianity, but there definitely is just this um, sense in our culture that if you want to be a Christian, that means you kind of have to give up any um, ability to reason, I guess. Like that sounds, that's yeah. probably that's probably a really harsh way of saying it. Right. Um, but, and I, I think to some extent Christians are at fault. I think to some extent Christians have um, said we're not willing to reason about um, matters. We're just... Certain things are off limits. Yes, things are off limits. We're not going to engage with particular ideas because... They're against the Bible, and the Bible is, you know, that type yeah. of thing. Yeah, and, and some of them aren't even against the Bible. Some of them are um, very genuine questions to ask about the Bible and ask um, through the the context of the Bible. Right. And it's just, it's, it's unfortunate on both sides because um, I think Christians have been too eager to shut out um, the the scientific community, the... Um, the, the atheist community. I think Christians have been too eager to, to condemn that and and vice versa. The scientific community has been too eager to say all Christians are um, are superstitious um, fairy in the sky worshipers, something like that. You know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just not, it's not true. It's it's unfortunate that that's the perception. Uh, I agree and I, and I think that both first of all, there aren't sides, which is a myth. That, that there's science and there's Christians. First of all, there are many, many believers in, in both hard and mm-hmm. soft sciences, quote-unquote, <laughs> yeah. um, which is to say, you know, every intellectual tradition is, is has many believers in it. And, and it's true that there are some... Um, there are some fields where Christians definitely don't predominate. And part of that, though, is a cultural bias against Christianity of the type you're talking about um, and those who don't even want to admit that they're Christians and things like that. But the fact is, is that, and, and we've talked about this many times, if you if you are listening to this, you don't go to Acts Church. If you want to engage with some of this thought, uh, we have something called the Skeptics Forum. Those videos are on um, our uh, our website. Also this year we did Seeking Skeptics, which was a similar thing. Those videos are also there. I think we still have SeekingSkeptics.com, Hunter, is that right? Yeah. So you can go to SeekingSkeptics.com and see uh, some of the answers that Christians have to some of these questions. Um, but that that Christians don't engage is more of the message that people hear. That Christians don't want to, that they bury their head in the sand about, say, scientific discoveries, things like that. The truth is, is that the Christian intellectual tradition is very deep, wide, and rich. Um, And in fact, still to this day, some of the very best philosophers, some of the very top scientists are serious believers in Jesus Christ. Uh, And so, and in scripture, and think that scripture is authoritative. And, um, you know, from historians to natural scientists to uh, biologists and so on, um, there are people in those fields that believe in Jesus Christ and don't see an issue between that and science. Now, having said that, I don't think that message is out there at the at the same level that it once was. Although there is a resurgence of apologetics ministries, which is which are ministries that not aren't apologizing, but rather giving an apologia, giving giving a reason for the hope within, doing a better job of engaging the ideas of the culture and giving the Christian answers in a way that's intellectually satisfying. Although my experience is, I'm not certain that. 
the when people say that's why I reject Christianity and then you say okay let's engage on that topic that then they say okay if you can convince me about this then I will give this another shot rather they're more likely I don't say they're more likely I think some are just as likely to say well then fine you have answers for that but you're all hypocrites and then you say well actually look over here you actually see a whole bunch of people living very authentically and they say well fine I don't like that but you have too many you know and 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 really the thing is they're rejecting Christ in general which Mm -hmm. is which is common to all generations that there are those who will reject Christ there are those who they don't have good reasons for it they have excuses but you take those away and you find out that really it's a heart issue now that is a common spiritual condition that has always existed from the beginning of time. Um, and that is a different thing. I, I, we can't do anything about that except for pray for people, love people, and serve people well. We can do something about changing the way that people view believers, people view Christ followers, people view the church. Um, and that is that is our job. So for those who have legitimate concerns on, in these areas, I think that we need to work as a church. We need to work as that church on um, having way less hypocrisy in, in our lives and, and in, in the body of Christ. We need to work on making sure that we are equipping ourselves and engaging intellectually properly. We need to work on not putting the cart before the horse and getting legalistic and talking too much about rules to the person who's, who is starting to engage with Christianity and talking more about who Christ is so that they can understand why we talk about rules at all. We need to make sure that we are defending scripture and explaining why it's authoritative. All these things are important for us. And, and I, I think we're kind of sort of out of time for this one. And so I'm going to give you each chance to sort of parting thoughts. And this is what I'd like to hear from you is obviously you all are millennials. Obviously, you also work for a church. You're full-time. I don't even use the word work. You minister full-time in the context of the body of Christ. So obviously, you don't have, um, hopefully, you don't have these issues uh, at, at too deep of a level. Um, but what, what would you say? Just assume everyone that you know and every young person was going to listen to this, which, of course, they will. Um, mm-hmm. Assume they're all listening to this. What would you say to somebody who is struggling, whatever generation they're in, who is struggling with these kinds of issues about what your experience has been with the church, what you found it to be, and you know what the Lord has done to break down those objections in your mind? So I'll start with you, Kristen. Go ahead. Well, I think one thing that I've learned in the past few years is that the church is made up of people, and people mess up, and they sin. And if you're going to church because it's about the people and about the rules, then you're there for um, the wrong stuff. And ultimately, it is going to fail you and things probably won't work out Um, because the church really should be about Christ. And yes, Christ brings people together to make a body and the body works together. Um, But Christ is the only thing that's perfect and Christ is really the only one that you can rely on because people fail. And like I said, church shouldn't be just about the people. It shouldn't just be about the about the rules. It should be um, Christ's love for you and your love for Christ and how you show that love to Christ. Yeah, yeah I'd just uh, encourage you, regardless of, of where you are, I mean, maybe, maybe you are um, a Christian, um, maybe you've always been a Christian. Maybe you are not a Christian. Maybe you've never been a Christian. Um, wherever you are, I would just say engage with um, people who are unlike you. Um, be willing to um, reassess 
the the facts behind what the ideas that you hold um be willing to um not i think um people blacklist um certain ideas or certain um topics from what they're allowed to talk or think about just because um either because it's threatening you know it's really uncomfortable to um, reassess something that you've built your life around um it's it's your foundation and so if your foundation is that um, you, if your foundation is in anything other than the Bible, it's going to be really uncomfortable to reassess that and say, hmm, maybe this, this, um, this, these words in this book have, have importance to my life today. And um, it's really uncomfortable to, to do that. And so I just um, encourage you to be willing to reassess that. And if you're a Christian and um, you, you're, very set in that um don't be afraid to um, reassess specific views that you hold um be willing to um, step back look at the world and look at scripture and say is this is this particular thing i believe um actually biblical is it actually um does it make sense because i think a lot of times um in the repetition we we pick up artifacts, you know, I, I kind of come from a technology um, side of things, you know, you start picking up artifacts and you repeat those artifacts that are not related to, um, to what scripture actually said. And pretty soon you're, you've got all this extra junk in your belief system that is not at all um, helpful to, to your faith. And so, um, yeah, just don't be hesitant to engage in those things. That's what I would say to them. Good. I think uh, I would I would add you know if 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 one of your objections is that you feel like uh, believers like Christians are unwilling to engage with the um, truth claims or the or the worldviews of other people, make sure that you're not being guilty of that by being unwilling to engage with the Christian worldview. And I would say wherever you are, if you're if you're in the Portland, Vancouver, Camas, Washougal, you know, area where we live, we'd, of course, we'd love to have you at Axe Church and, and give it a try. If you're not in that area, find a strong Bible-believing church that is engaging with these ideas. And, and I'll tell you, there are plenty of them, especially these days. I'm not saying that everyone is. I'm sure that there are still um, Christian churches that uh, fulfill some of the stereotypes that we talked about as there are some millennials who fulfill the stereotypes <laughs> that we talked about and you don't want to be lumped in with them uh, just think through this for a second you don't want to be lumped in with the stereotypes that people put for put forth about millennials and you also should not put forth those kinds of stereotypes about churches because just like anybody else churches they all have their individual culture, their individual personality. Um, hopefully, the one thing that binds them all is a love for Jesus Christ and a desire to serve him and his kingdom, but none of them will do it perfectly. Um, and then I just want to speak to the millennial thing for a second. Like I said, I think we'll do this again, the Millennials and Me um, episodes of the podcast. But for this one, I just want to say there we have uh, a tendency to want to laugh. <laughs> And so we engage in, in laughing sometimes about stereotypes about different people, different cultures or whatever, and, and making fun of a, um, a generation of people that's sort of 
faceless, which is to say you're not making fun of anybody individually and so on and laughing about millennials. I would say this, listen, having fun and being able to make fun of ourselves and being able to do that is, is one thing, but be very careful that you don't buy into the idea that all millennials are this way or all millennials are that way. Um, they're not. And, uh, you know, I love millennials. I've got two of them here at the table that, uh, in both cases, I, you know, saw them as people who the Lord has called into, into important work. And I think they bring things that are important. Um, and they see things from a perspective that I don't, um, all the time. Lots of things we see from the same perspective, but there are things that they see that I don't see. Just like I have people who are older, um, than millennials, uh, that, I engage with all the time and they see things differently. And, and so, you know, you know, get, get away from the idea that the kinds of um, prejudices that we build up towards people because of the um, things that are said about them or the, the generalizations that are made about them, get away from that. First of all, if you're as a believer, it's, it's not only is it unkind, but it's, it's unbiblical <laughs> to take, uh, we should never despise someone because of their youth. Uh, that's very clear in scripture. And we don't despise people because some, some people have said certain things about large groups of people. That's, that's wrong. Um, and it's, and it's hurtful. And, and I think that I don't always realize uh, I'm, I'm the kind of guy who pokes fun at people and, and that type of thing in a teasing way, because that's, that's one of the, it's my love language. It's one of the ways that I, <laughs> that I uh, interact. And if people know me, then they're usually okay with that because, uh, you know, they, they're used to that or they're, they give it back to me and it's all, and it's all good. Um, although I have to be careful about it. And with something like this, I would say, be careful about, um, a starting to buy into some of these myths about millennials, which many of which are not true. And a lot of which are no different from any group of say, whatever, 18 to, to 30 year olds in any generation. And so be careful about that and, um, engage the ideas of, of young people because they are the future of the church. They are the future of whatever business you work for. They are the future of this country that we live in. Um, and they have a lot to offer. And so, um, I will continue to bring these two to the table from time to time and, and have these conversations. And I hope that you, um, take, take what they have to say seriously because they have a perspective on, um, what the, where the church is and where it's going. And, and, uh, uh, I think, did you want to add something, Chris? And I see, okay, she's raising her hand. So some millennial thing, I'm sure. I'm kidding, obviously. <laughs> That's raising your hand is not even one of the stereotypes. Um, so, you know, love, love your love your local millennial, millennials, millennials um, and, uh, and, and, and love each other in the church. And let's, and let's, as a church, every generation, let's grow in the Lord. And so um, I'm going to pray for us as we end here, and then we'll see you next time. Father, I... Thank you for all the different people in the church. And we are not generations. We are individuals uh, that make up the body of Christ. And the only uh, group that we should be primarily concerned about are the ones that we're in, our own families, our own church, uh, the people that we work with, uh, the people in, in our culture and, and so on. And we want to be um, always bringing your the life that you bring. We want to always be bringing um, who you are to what we do and growing ourselves and, and working on our own hypocrisy and working on our own things that we have to struggle with and helping others do the same. And so as millennials, uh, those that are that age are walking into discipleship relationships on both sides, both being discipled and learning to disciple others. Lord, I pray that we would not fail uh, the, the, those in our church who are younger um, and we would not fail them by not giving them all the best that we have and we would not fail them by assuming things about them that um, are untrue or prejudicial and uh, I pray that we would not be the church 
uh, that we have been, but that we would always grow, uh, always grow to be a more authentic, more Christ-centered body. And so thank you for all that, Lord. And I pray you be with those who are listening and all the needs that they have in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you for listening to us today. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as we did. If uh, you don't know who we are, we are Axe Church, and we're located in Camas, Washington. You can check us out at axcamas.org. That's A-C-T-S-C-A-M-A-S.org. We have some sermons up there and other information about our church. We'd love it if you would interact with us in the comment section or by um, liking the, the podcast and subscribing to it. Thanks so much for your time, and we'll catch you again next week.